KISS 11. Uh, Merv described last week's readings as long and elaborate, and I uh, have to say the same applies to this week. Um, and I think we'll do well to remember as omnivores in 2019, when we read these things about animals um, and what's clean and unclean, that this is all uh, God's word to us, uh, that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training and righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Um, so we've got the references up there. Um, some of them are quite short and I'll just, I uh, won't pause too long between. So let's hear from God's word now. Um, And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying to them, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, These are the living things that you may eat among all the animals that are on the earth. Whatever parts the hoof and, what, and is cloven-footed and chews the cud among the animals you may eat. Nevertheless, among those that chew the cud or part the hoof, you shall not eat these. The camel, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. And the rock badger, because it chews the cud, and does not part the hoof is unclean to you. And the hare, because it chews the cud, but does not part the hoof is unclean to you. And the pig, because it parts the hoof and is cloven-footed, but does not chew the cud is unclean to you. You shall not eat any of their flesh and you shall not touch their carcasses. They are unclean to you. These you may eat of all that are in the waters. Everything in the waters that has fins and scales, whether in the seas or in the rivers, you may eat. But anything in the seas or rivers that does not have fins and scales, of the swarming creatures in the waters and of the living creatures that are in the waters, is detestable to you. You shall regard them as detestable. You shall not eat any of their flesh, and you shall detest their carcasses. Everything in the waters that does not have fins and scales is detestable to you. And these you shall detest among the birds. They shall not be eaten. They are detestable. The eagle, the bearded vulture, the black vulture, the kite, the falcon of any kind, any, uh, every raven of any kind, the ostrich, the nighthawk, the seagull, the hawk of any kind, the little owl, the cormorant, the short-eared owl, the barn owl, the tawny owl, the carrion vulture, the stork, the heron of any kind, the hoopoe, and the bat. All winged insects that go on all fours are detestable to you. Yet, among the winged insects that go on all fours, you may eat those that have jointed legs above their feet with which to hop on the ground. Of them you may eat the locust of any kind, the bald locust of any kind, the cricket of any kind, and the grasshopper of any kind. But all other winged insects that have four feet are detestable to you. And by these you shall become unclean. Whoever touches their carcasses shall be unclean until the evening, and whoever carries any part of their carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until the evening. Every animal that parts the hoof but does, is not cloven-footed or does not chew the cud is unclean to you. Everyone who touches them shall be unclean. And all that walk on their paws among the animals that go on all fours are unclean to you. Whoever touches their carcasses shall be unclean until the evening, and he who carries their carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until the evening. They are unclean to you. And these are unclean to you among the swarming things that swarm on the ground, the mole rat, the mouse, the great lizard of any kind, the gecko, the monitor lizard, the lizard, the sand lizard, and the chameleon. These are unclean to you among all that swarm. Whoever touches them 
when they are dead, shall be unclean until the evening, and anything on which any of them falls when they are dead shall be unclean, whether it is an article of wood or a garment or a skin or a sack, any article that is used for any purpose. It must be put into water, and it shall be unclean until the evening. Then it shall be clean. And if any of them falls into any earthenware vessel, all that is in it shall be unclean, and you shall break it. Any food in it that could be eaten, on which water comes, shall be unclean. And all that drink uh, that could be drunk from every vessel shall be unclean. And everything on which any part of their carcass falls shall be unclean, whether on oven or stove, it shall be broken in pieces. They are unclean and shall remain unclean for you. Nevertheless, a spring or a cistern holding water shall be clean, but whoever touches a carcass in them shall be unclean. And if any part of their carcass falls upon any seed grain that is to be sown, it is clean. But if water is put on the seed and any part of the carcass falls on it, it is unclean to you. And if any animal which you may eat dies, whoever touches its carcass shall be unclean until the evening. And whoever eats of its carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until the evening. And whoever carries the carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until the evening. Every swarming thing that swarms on the ground is detestable. It shall not be eaten. Whatever goes on its belly and whatever goes on all fours or whatever has many feet, any swarming thing that swarms on the ground, you shall not eat, for they are detestable. You shall not make yourselves detestable with any swarming thing that swarms. You shall not defile yourselves with them and become unclean through them. For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy." You shall not defile yourselves with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground. For I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. This is the law about beast and bird and every living creature that moves through the waters and every creature that swarms on the ground to make distinction between the unclean and the clean and between the living creature that may be eaten and the living creature that may not be eaten. Then one verse from Leviticus 15, 31. Thus you shall keep the people of Israel separate from their uncleanness, lest they die in their uncleanness by defiling my tabernacle that is in your midst. Um, turning to Gospel of Mark chapter 7 now. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Now final reading from 1 Peter, chapter one. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, 
do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Heavenly Father, all of your word is breathed out by you, of greatest value in teaching us, rebuking us, correcting us, and training us in righteousness and holiness. So we pray that as we look at this word here in Leviticus 11, that you would equip us through it for every good work. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Former pastor of 517 Church, Steve Nation, once told me a story of his time at Bible College. He was with some of his friends and mates in a dining hall, seated around a table. They were talking and laughing as boys do. And then one of his friends at the table who was quietly eating and listening felt something wet on his leg and heard a bunch of chuckles from around the table. He looked down and sure enough, on his leg was a bit of chewed meat. Ah, bummer, he thought. I must have been chewing it. It must have fallen out of my mouth and everyone saw it. And so he promptly scooped it up, popped it in his mouth and swallowed it. And immediately the laughter turned into a chorus of ew. Happiness turned into disgust. What happened? Well, it turns out that the piece of meat didn't fall out of his mouth, (laughs) but out of the mouth of the big guy sitting next to him. (laughs) Now, technically, what that guy put in his mouth was food. But none of us would call it food. We would call it detestable, unclean. If you were that guy's girlfriend, Would you kiss him right afterwards? No, you would not. He would be unclean until the morning. (laughs) See, now all of us, when we hear that story, we understand that. We understand the logic. There's a logic to that train of thought. But as you heard Leviticus 11 being read out, could you pick up the logic of what was going on? Could you pick up the logic of all all that detail there? See, when you think about the book of Leviticus, you'd probably think about these food laws at some point. And it can often be one of the most confusing and foreign passages in the Bible. So what is going on in this chapter? Why is this here? Uh, That's what we're going to look at this morning. So let's start with a big, quick, big big picture recap. Remember, it's been a couple of months since everyone in Israel saw the 10 plagues in Egypt. Uh, The Red Sea parted before them so they could cross on dry ground the pillar of fire leading them through the desert. Now we're at the foot of Mount Sinai, and from the clouds and the fire on top of the mountain, God sends a message to Israel through Moses. This is what he says. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. See, if Israel would listen to God and obey his laws, then they would mediate God's presence to the world. They would be a holy nation. And in this chapter here, we're beginning to see the steps Israel needs to take in order to be that holy nation. Each law that is given in this section aims at creating a holy people, people who are clean, pure in God's sight and presence, a purity which reflects his own purity. 
If God's people will listen and obey, even with laws about their diet, then they will be holy and pure before God and before this world. So that's the big picture. Let's dive in and look at some of the details. As we open up the first few verses, we get introduced to a whole list of animals that you can and cannot eat. Now, the rules themselves are, I think, pretty straightforward. Eat this, don't eat this. But the reason why you can't eat certain animals is a bit obscure. Uh, there's nothing necessarily clear from the text that tells us the reasons. So some have speculated that maybe some animals are declared unclean because they were involved in pagan rituals. Right? Some of these animals were used by the nations around Israel uh, and they were used in their idol worship. And so these animals became unclean. But the problem with that idea is that cows and bulls were the most commonly used sacrifice everywhere. So in Leviticus 11, they're clean. So that doesn't seem to make sense. So then maybe some have argued it's a hygiene issue, food safety. Right? If you undercook pork, you get really sick. Prawns and crabs, they're filter feeders, cleaning up the rubbish of the sea. And so maybe God was protecting his people from unsafe food. But again, declaring some animals unclean because of hygiene doesn't make sense. Sure, pork undercooked can be dangerous, but you know how you get around that? You cook it properly. <laughs> right? Prawns and crabs are actually delicious and safe. And camels though they are declared unclean, were commonly eaten in the Middle East and still are. I've never eaten camel. It might be delicious. But hygiene is not the reason why animals are clean or unclean. The best reason for understanding why these laws are here is probably symbolic. See, Israel is meant to be distinct, separate, unique, totally devoted to God in comparison to the rest of the world. They were to look and to act differently. And one way they were to look and act differently was in their diet. So let's turn to the outline. And as you can see, the, passage, uh, the, the passages follow a familiar structure, land, sea, and air. Three spheres of creation from Genesis 1. Let's run through them quickly. Let's have a look at the detail. We begin with the land animals in verses 3 to 8. The clean animals, land animals, have two distinctives. They have cloven hoofs and chew the cud, uh, a hoof that is split in two, and a particular way of chewing their food. Now, chewing the cud today, for the vets here, where's Esther? Right? Esther's the only vet? There's only, there's no, okay. Esther can tell you all about chewing the cud, but today, it refers to this idea of uh, animals that don't swallow their food immediately, but they swallow it into one stomach, and then they regurgitate it, rechew it, and swallow it into another stomach. Chewing the cud here in Leviticus probably doesn't refer to that, but more just the general action of chewing their food properly or thoroughly. So, cows are clean. That's a tongue twister. Cows are clean, right? They chew their food properly and they have a split hoof. But in verse 4, the camel is unclean, even though it chews properly, but it doesn't part the hoof. Right? Verses 5 to 6, rabbits and rock badgers. I had to Google what a rock badger was. No idea. I thought it looked more dangerous. <laughs> Rock badger. Right? They're no go because they chew their food properly, but they don't have hoofs. Right? And then the bad news for the Israelites, no crackling pork or bacon. <laughs> because while pigs split the hooves, they do not have the right chewing action. So you cannot eat these animals. 
and you cannot touch their dead bodies. Eating them and touching their, their dead bodies made you unclean. See, notice though it's okay to touch a live one, so you can ride a camel and not be unclean. Right? You might smell a bit after a day or two on a camel, but you're not unclean before God. Now in verses 9 to 12, the focus then moves on to seafood. And the basic rule here is that if it's got scales and fins, it's good. But if not, it's out, off limits. So no octopus, no calamari, no oysters, no prawns, no lobsters, no crabs, no ridiculously overpriced abalone, (laughs) no fun. Basically, all the expensive stuff. Right, so maybe these food laws are actually about saving you money at buffets and restaurants. <laughs> right, the next lot of animals in verses 13 to 19, they're birds. Now, without going through it very quickly, but if you read over it quickly, you'll notice that a lot of these birds are called detestable. Right, the thought of eating these birds would, was, to be, was not only just unclean, but revolting and repugnant and vile. And with all these birds listed, there's this common theme that they seem to be birds of prey. They eat, either eat dead carcasses, or they eat flesh with the blood still in it. So to touch something that was dead or to eat the blood made an Israelite unclean. So it's almost like saying that since these birds do these things that make them unclean, to eat them would make you unclean as well. Next thing, uh, in the point, verses 20 to 23 and 40 to 40, uh, 41 to 43, you've got creepy crawly things. And let's be honest here, I'd be totally comfortable if all insects and other creepy crawly things were declared unclean to eat. I would have no problem with that. And yet, why do these insects make the list? See, so far we've touched land animals, sea animals, and air animals. And in each of these realms, you've got animals that are clean, and they seem to move in particular ways and distinctive ways. So land animals, they've got four legs and walk on all fours. Fish have fins and scales and swim. Birds have wings, two wings and two legs to walk with. So it might be that insects and other swarming things appear on this list as unclean because they break these general rules, right? Their motion is undefined, half this, half that. The only exception are locusts, crickets and grasshoppers, clean to eat, maybe delicious, I will never know, right? Unfortunately, right? But clean, because in verse 21, we're told they have jointed legs and can hop on the ground. So it seems like they have wings to fly and two big legs to hop around with, so they kind of sort of fit in with their animals. Uh, Every other insect, however, is off limits. Amen. Now, with a lot of these animals, you need to eat them in order to be unclean. But in verses 24 to 28, there's an alarming twist. Touching them even their dead bodies, can make you unclean. You see it there in verses 25 and in verse 39. Whether the animal is clean or unclean, if they are dead, do not touch it. If you touch it, then you will be made unclean until evening. Thank goodness it's a temporary state, but you will still be made unclean. But then it's just not dead bodies. See, verse 26 goes further and says that even animals that are unclean and alive... If you touch them, you too will be unclean. Who here owns a pet dog or cat? Right, verse 27, anything that walks on paws, unclean. It's as though Moses is warning the people. Death is contagious. 
You see, even the things that these dead bodies touch are made unclean as well. Uh, you see that there in verses 29 to 38, very briefly, or to illustrate it. So imagine for a moment your mum and dad are cooking at home an all-day slow-cooker lamb stew. Right? You get home after a big day out, you sit down and you take that delicious, soft, tender bite, and then your mum notices that a gecko died and fell into the pot at the same, some point in the day. Now, you didn't eat the gecko, but you would still be unclean. You would probably feel it too. And not only are you and the food unclean, but so is the pot. In verse 33, Moses says you can't just wash it. You've got to smash it. Right? Same with the water jars, ovens and stoves. If something like an unclean animal gets in there, it now becomes irretrievably unclean. You have to destroy it. See, this seems to be the main point in this chapter. So you notice again the ordering in the, of the list that is done of these animals in creation order. God's good creation order. Remember, he created the land animals, then the sea animals, and then the air animals, and everything in between. And he called it very good. So these laws are not saying that there's something inherently bad about pigs and prawns and lobsters. Rather, these foods represented a penalty. And so Israel was not allowed to eat. So Israel may eat of all the other foods, but of these foods they may not eat. Does that sound familiar? Now, when was the last time in the Bible a food restriction was given? It's in the Garden of Eden. Telling Adam and Eve, eat of any of the trees, but don't eat of that tree. Have a look at verse 42. We're going to read this verse out. Have a look at verse 42. There's a curious warning there. Verse 42 of chapter 11. Whatever goes on its belly and whatever goes on all fours and whatever has many feet, any swarming things that swarms on the ground, you shall not eat. They are detestable, right? Lots of insects there. But notice that thing, that first line, whatever goes on its belly. So the last time in the Bible God gave a warning about a creature that crawled on its belly was in the Garden of Eden. In fact, these are the only two times that, we are that a creature that crawls on its belly is referred to. See, remember, the tabernacle was basically a big tent that looked like the Garden of Eden, right? The candlestick that looked like the Tree of Life, the lights on that candle, same word used for the stars that God throws up into space, the Holy of Holies where God's presence dwelt. The cherubim woven into the big curtain guarding the priest from God's presence, like how cherubim guarded the entrance to the garden of God's presence. God now here, remember in Exodus just before, he's providing a way for his people to come back into the garden. And all of these laws are echoing the warnings from the garden. Don't eat this food. Be careful of the belly crawlers. Listen to God. Otherwise, you will suffer the penalty of being cut off from God's presence. They were to listen to God, to obey him, and if they did so, then they would be a holy people. You see, this chapter, this book, with all its spectacular weirdness, is about making God's people holy. That's what he says in verses 44 to 45. Read it together. For I am the Lord your God. 
Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. You shall not defile yourselves with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground. For I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. If you could summarize the purpose of the book of Leviticus, it would be verse 45. You shall be holy, for I am holy. Now, if you've been listening carefully, you will have noticed that we've covered a lot of ground on what is clean and unclean, but we haven't actually defined what it means to be clean. Part of the reason that is because the chapter hasn't actually spelled out it all, that out all, much, all that much. That is until now. You see, being clean is about being holy. To be holy is to be set apart, distinct, unique, dis- uniquely called for a purpose. Israel was called to give their whole lives to serve God, even their their diet. And if they listened to God, if they obeyed his words, even about the foods that that look tempting and delicious, then God would bless them with his presence, his ongoing presence. But if they did not listen, if they disobeyed and ate what was unclean, then they could not be allowed in his presence. And that extends beyond just the food laws, as we'll see in the coming weeks. There are other laws as well, grounded in the same reality. Follow these laws, even some of the stranger ones, because it will demonstrate obedience, and then you will be blessed with my ongoing presence, and it will mark you out from the world as utterly unique and distinct. See, to be clean is to be pure enough to enter God's holy presence. To be unclean was to pollute yourself so that you could not enter on penalty of death. That's what Leviticus 15 verse 31 says. If you are polluted, if you come into the tabernacle and defile God, you will surely die. Don't believe me? Flip back in your Bibles one chapter and remember the story of Nadab and Abihu. Remember what you saw. Listen to what I say. Listen to God because God has saved you and calls you to holiness. God wants his people to be holy because he has saved them to himself. See, holiness does not come before salvation. You cannot earn salvation by being holy. Salvation comes before holiness. So this is what Leviticus 11 is all about. God saving a people to himself, calling them to be holy. And to be holy meant listening to God and obeying Him, even in things like what they could or could not eat. Following God in these laws showed that you trusted His Word. And if they trusted His Word, they could enjoy the blessing of His presence among them. And then along comes Jesus, 1,500 years later, and says, Yeah, nah. Look at Mark chapter 7, verse 18 to 19. And He said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And like that, we'd like that. With one fell swoop, Jesus cancels the food laws. It's not like, you know, he, he says that it's not what goes into you that makes you unclean. It's not what's outside that makes you unclean, but it's what comes out of your heart that makes you unclean. And in saying this, he effectively cancels the food laws. Now, after all we've we've just read in Leviticus, there's a few ways that you can read what Jesus is doing here in Mark 7. First, 
We could read it as Jesus actually saying that the food laws were a mistake, that they were actually were wrong all the time. Like, let me correct it. Now, it cannot be that. It cannot be that. God cannot contradict himself, and God does not make mistakes. You could read it saying that Jesus is God, so now in God's prerogative, he's just reversing what he said earlier. But that would make God inconsistent, unreliable, mean and harsh. Not only because he's restricted his people from enjoying delicious roast pork, but also because he brought on them the penalty of uncleanness. It would be utterly inconsistent and unfair of God. Now, Jesus himself tells us what he's doing in Matthew chapter 5. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus fulfills the law. See, you can think of the law like scaffolding on a building, like telling us that one day, when you see that scaffolding, one day there will be something really beautiful behind it. So when you're going through town and you see a construction site and you see the scaffolding erected up around the place, you know that people are not going to see the scaffolding. They're going to look one day and keep looking to that thing because the scaffolding points to a bigger reality. Now, the law did something very similar. The food laws in Leviticus 11 were pointing to a people who would be holy as God is holy. But that never happened in Israel's history. See, by the time you get to the end of two kings, the people are gone, in exile, suffering the penalty of disobedience and of being unclean. Just like Adam and Eve, they are kicked out and away from the presence of God. But the scaffolding remained telling us that one day there would come a people who would be holy as God is holy. This is how the law of God is prophetic. It points us forward to the brighter future to come. And that finally happened with Jesus. Jesus is not only the perfect son of God, but also the person who embodies everything that Israel was meant to be. A man who was holy as God is holy, And so when Jesus arrived, this scaffolding of the food laws fell away. See, Christians have often been accused of picking and choosing which laws of God to obey. And often it's the food laws that are brought up. How can you say that we should do this or that when you don't even obey God's word here? See, look here, the food laws. You eat pork and shellfish, right? Here's the answer to the argument, to that argument. You say that the food laws are meant to point to a people who are holy, and ultimately point to the holy person of Jesus. When Jesus came, the purpose of these food laws is fulfilled. The food laws point us to Jesus, who is the fulfillment of them. And so, friends, if you trust Jesus and if you are united to him, you don't have to try and keep these Levitical laws anymore. So when you go out to lunch, enjoy your pork and prawns to the glory of God. Enjoy your medium-rare steak. Please don't send me photos of that. <laughs> Every time I mention lunch and food, people send me photos during the second service. Not, yeah. We can do that, but we can enjoy these foods to the glory of God because we are now clean, not because we keep a law. We're clean because we trust Jesus. He is the one who saw the uncleanness in our hearts and washes that clean 
forever. Friends, if you are not united to Jesus by faith in him, that does, that, it, it doesn't mean you keep these laws, but it does mean that you will live a holy life. See, the food laws in Leviticus point to Jesus, the perfect holy person, holy as God is holy. And if we are united to him by faith in Jesus, then we will practice holiness as well. And that's what Peter's, that's Peter's point in his letter. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14 and 16. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. You see it there in verse 16, quoting Leviticus 11. He says that if you are saved, you will live a holy life. You will live in a way that is pure before God, pure in your speech, in your attitude, in your conduct. Like Israel, we have been called by God to be distinctly different from our world. So if you are in Christ, do not be conformed to your, the passions of your former ignorance. Don't look like your old self in your old ways, in your worldly life. Instead, you are called by God to be holy. Now this means three things. First, we have to get the order of these things right. The first thing, salvation comes before holiness. Friends, some of you here today haven't put your faith in Jesus yet. If you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian or if you're not sure, maybe you've been to church your whole life but you think Christianity is just a bunch of rules. Do this, do that, don't eat this, don't do that. You come to Leviticus 11. Please do not see Leviticus 11 as demanding, God demanding that you keep a bunch of rules to please him. See that these laws actually point forward to Jesus. He is the one that you need to trust. You are presently unclean, unfit to be in God's presence. But if you trust Jesus, he will make you clean. He is the one who will bring you back into the sweet presence of God. And how does he do that? We'll hear more about that next week. But for now, would you turn to put your trust and faith in him alone? That is the only way you can be, ma be made clean again. Now for the Christians here, Leviticus 11 is telling us that salvation comes before holiness. You know, that, that idea, again, is picked up by Peter as well, even as he quotes Leviticus 11. Peter says that salvation comes before holiness. And so how does this principle apply to our church? Imagine you're talking with a family who have been at our church for a little while. Uh, you're talking to the husband who you know is a non-Christian. But then you find out in the conversation that this couple isn't actually married. What would you say? What would you do? Would you say, look, you really ought to get married before you come and enjoy this community that we have here? But what would Leviticus 11 say? Salvation comes before holiness. Imagine if two guys walked in here, gay men holding hands. Or imagine a transgender woman walks in, a man who identifies as a woman with all makeup and dress and skirt on, and they came in here, what would you say to them? Would you say, look, you've really got to cut that out before you come in here? 
But what does Leviticus 11 say? Salvation comes before holiness. Holiness should never be a prerequisite to hearing the gospel. Leviticus 11 is clear. Salvation comes before holiness. And Leviticus 11 is also clear that holiness follows salvation. God saved Israel out of Egypt to be wholeheartedly committed to him and to be holy. We are saved through Christ to be a holy commit, wholeheartedly committed to him and to be holy. And so what does holiness look like? For Israel, it looked quite simple. Wake up every day, read these words in this law and follow it. But for Christians, it's a bit different. It's to wake up and to be like the word who has become flesh. We are to be holy as Jesus is holy. We are to be like him. Now, this is not optional, and this is definitely not unimportant. Every person who tr truly trusts and follows Jesus is increasingly transformed into his likeness. Now, while this task takes hard work and effort, it's also as simple as waking up each day and reading the Word, your Bible, trusting it and living in response. Remember, through the ordinary means of knowing God more and more, as we listen to His Word in our Bible reading, as we listen to the preaching of God's Word, as we pray together, as we love each other in our community, knowing God more and more through what he has revealed of himself in the Bible, right? prioritizing the study of God's word individually and in groups. Right? What you can achieve alone as you read the Bible it can be achieved 10 times faster when you're in a group studying it together, encouraging each other all the way. And if you want to go the extra mile, not to replace your Bible reading, but reading good books and listening to good sermons and podcasts online, if we are saved in Christ, the main point is we will be more like Christ. In his book, Holiness, 19th century Bishop J.C. Ryle said, Holiness is the habit of being one of one mind with God, according as we find his mind described in Scripture. It is the habit of agreeing in God's judgment, hating what he hates, loving what he loves, and measuring everything in this world by the standard of his word. To love what God love, loves and hate what he hates requires knowing the word. Be holy as I am holy. So let's grow in that holiness together. Now much more will be said about holiness in the near future. For now though, let's think about that. Are we being compelled towards holiness? Or away from it? Let me pray. Father in heaven, your word is a light to our feet, even Leviticus 11 and its food laws. So we pray that you'll help us to understand how it does point to your son Jesus and how it calls your people to be holy, holy as you are. Now that we are saved in Christ, we thank you that we don't have to keep these laws. We thank you that we can enjoy a wider diet, but we pray that you will help us to understand that we are called by you to be holy, even to this day. So by your Spirit, illumine in our hearts and in our lives the places where sin still reigns. Illumine in our hearts and our lives the places that still need growth in holiness. 
Do this work in us for your glory, we pray in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen.